Hello, everybody. This is your friendly neighborhood Fear of God co-host, Nathan. I asked Reed if we could forego the normal movie clip this episode for me to just share a brief thought with you. About midway through this episode, you might notice that I go pretty silent for the bulk of the latter part of the episode. I was self-conscious after the recording and wanted to explain myself. In addition to being a beautifully uncynical look at the faithful life of a family man rocked by tragedy, this viewing of signs was also far more close to home for me than I was ready for emotionally. Something of deep calling to deep was happening inside of me as I watched Graham Hess's story play out this time around, and it proved more than I knew how to process at the moment, much less how to share on the podcast. One day, when you read my memoir, Fool for Hope, all of this might make more sense. As it is, know that these two things have been of great help to me in my adult life. One, God will never let you endure more than he himself would, which, by the way, included death. So, you know, there's that. And two, therapy is a beautiful thing. You all are wonderful and beautiful and beloved. And we appreciate you sharing your ears with us every week. Now, enough of all that. As always, we hope you enjoy the show. And now welcome to this week's penultimate installment of Springtime for Shyamalan featuring Sons. Welcome to The Fear of God, episode 35. We are rounding the corner towards our last couple of episodes in our epic series, Springtime for Shyamalan. Here at The Fear of God, we're having conversations every week about the intersection between Christianity and the horror genre. Having that conversation is me, Reed Lackey. And me, Nathan Rouse. Reed, we are, not only are we at number 35, which means we're just one number closer to our ages here, but man, <laughs> in case you were wondering listeners. Yeah. 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 I got to tell you springtime for Shemalon. This is some fun stuff, man. This is what, this is number four. Right? Yeah. This is our fourth in this number series. Four yeah. of five. This is our penultimate episode of, of penultimate. What a great word. I love to use the word. I'm glad you just said that word. Cause I'm going to go on a nerd rant here. I love to use that word and just like not define it for people. And then the, they're just like, yeah, yeah. Penultimate. And you're like, you don't even know what that means. <laughs> do you? It's like the word you know. seminal. Like people, people will throw it out there. You don't, oh yeah. You have no idea what I just said. Did that's you? those, that's those Indians right <laughs> yes as a matter of fact <laughs> such a such a seminal indian right there um, blow blow seminal wind so speaking of smoke signals uh we yeah, got yeah, yeah. uh we got our penultimate episode of springtime for Shyamalan here this is i gotta tell you man your uh your enthusiasm uh for for this series i've just really enjoyed i think this is my favorite sort of collection of things that we've done in a long time i've really enjoyed revisiting these movies obviously this is not the final conversation we'll be speaking next week about about our last film but uh just getting to reacquaint myself with this catalog has just been a real delight has reconnected all me. right well see i got a que- i got a question for you on that exact point i'm glad sure you see we're, this is why we're friends and and co-hosts um <laughs> I don't don't go too long because I want us to really take have the time we need to dive into this movie. But has there been in revisiting these uh, the, the more the ones we're covering, you know, not, yeah. not all the stuff we're not covering. Has there been any surprises for you? Like, hey, I didn't remember the level of affection I now feel towards X or I, this one turned out not to be quite as good as I remember it. What, what, what has surprised you in rewatching these five movies? I would say the shortest, the shortest answer to it has been 
I now have, not only from re-watching it, but also from us talking about it last week, I now have a sizable amount of things to discuss whenever the village comes up that I did not necessarily have in pocket before. I knew that I was always sort of a defender of it, but I was always a defender on sort of more technical levels or maybe broad strokes. But now I have a substantial amount of things that I can hone in on and say, no, here is why I'm so affectionate towards that movie. And that didn't that didn't exist prior to this. Interesting. How about for you? What was the, what were, was there anything well, that you weren't quite, I'm quite so, expecting? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> you know, I, I think on, on, in the spirit of what you just said, I mean, like I was happy to find that my love for the village was not just nostalgic. I really did, um, you know, really did enjoy the rewatching of that in a, in a particular way. But I think the most significant and perhaps it will come out in this episode, the most significant surprise to me of these five episodes, believe it or not, ended up being signs. Mm. Um, I, I always liked signs. I rewatched signs yesterday and came away with a deep, deep, perhaps love of science. Mm, I mean, yeah. we'll, 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 we'll unpack more of where we're going with that, but I was, I was unprepared for how much it moved me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I can, I can say it with only slight tongue in cheek here at the top of the episode, man, I, I, to be transparent with you and no one else. <laughs> uh, I mean, I blubbered like a baby through, mm. through the second half of the movie. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, just, I haven't watched it since I've had a, f a family. I mean, I was married uh, very shortly before it first came out or when did it come out? Oh, two. It was 2002. So no. Yeah. Okay. No, I was not married yet when I first saw it. Uh, you know, wasn't married when I first saw it, enjoyed it as a, a single 20 something, um, as a married father now of three. Man, it just really hit some notes I was unprepared for on this go round. Yeah. Um, and, and hopefully sort of like what you and I, I think found with the village. I do. It is my hope that people who do come to us for frivolity and hopefully some substance, um, who might have previous to springtime for Shyamalan been kind of cocked an eyebrow at our willingness to walk down this path. Right. I, I hope they give some of these movies a second chance. Cause I really think, um, particularly these five we're talking about are, are really worth the investment, uh, both, both just the time investment of watching a movie and the emotional investment of finding something worth digging into in them. I agree. And I, that's my hope for it as well. I know that we're not necessarily setting out to justify the work of a particular director that we love, but He's one, as we talked about in the initial elements of the series, that like he's he can be polarizing in terms of critical and audience opinion about him. And I do hope that if there's those people who are out there who don't necessarily agree with us in our affection for him, that they would give some of these elements a second chance, maybe not even to to come on board with affection for them, but to perhaps see the other side of things, perhaps see where the merit may lie. Uh, for a different take on some of these stories, some of these materials. Now, specific to signs, I won't say that our, that our experiences were completely concurrent with each other, but I remember that when I first saw signs, it was my first sort of ding of disappointment with Shyamalan. I, and we'll talk about this a little bit more next week. Sixth Sense was not the first film of his that I saw. And so, I already had a few. You're, you're that you're that Stuart Little fan, is what you're saying? No, no, no. I'm that wide awake fan. We'll talk about it more <laughs> okay. with Sixth Sense. Well, actually, now, maybe now is more the, the appropriate time to talk about it because of the thematic nature of signs. So many people think that Shyamalan burst onto the scene with Sixth Sense, but he had one direct. He had two films that he directed prior to the Sixth Sense. One of which has never seen formal distribution. Praying with Anger is a very personal film he made. I have seen it, but it is hard to come by because it doesn't have any formal distribution. You basically have to dig around for it on the internet. The uh, second film that he made and the first sort of formal, formally distributed film that he made was called Wide Awake. It was made in 98, and I was working at a video store at the time, and we got a copy of it. Uh, I was intrigued by the premise. Wide Awake is about a fourth grader who, after the death of his grandfather, goes on a search for God. I'm like, hmm, huh. I'm very interested in this premise. And 
So I watched the film. I adored the movie. I still adore the movie. I rewatched it in preparation for springtime for Shyamalan, and I, I feel very much the same level and degree of affection towards it that I did the first time around. It is sweet. It's very saccharine. I would almost even say it's kind of sentimental, and it was marketed horribly because it was marketed. It stars Dennis Leary and Rosie O'Donnell. So it was Weird. marketed as this... Like which one's playing the fourth grader? <laughs> Good, that's that's a very clever joke. So um, it was marketed as this sort of screwball comedy. There's actually very little comedic touches in the film. There's a few humorous moments here and there, but both Rosie O'Donnell and Dennis Leary are, are basically playing dramatic roles, and it's a rather dramatic film. But again, with some lighthearted touches along the way, and I think it was just marketed. Terribly. So what people going in expecting some comedic romp did not walk out with that experience. And so I, it, it ultimately was rather a box office failure and a critical failure. But I think it deserves some assessment. If anybody listening heard that premise and thinks, huh, I think that's an interesting film. I agree. And I think you should seek out Wide Awake and give it a chance. Um, I think you can own it on iTunes for like $3. I mean, it's, it's crazy cheap. Beside that, as a result, when Sixth Sense came out, I was probably the only person in the audience in there. Oh, this is that guy who directed Wide Awake. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm probably the only person who who actually, you know, had that sort of experience with that. So when I was, you know, a few films in, my first experience with Signs was one that was actually a bit. I, I won't say that I was disappointed my first viewing of Signs, but I remember walking out of the theater going, you know what? That that was a good movie. It had some good moments, but I feel like he filmed his first draft. Um, that that was the comment that I made a lot with the initial viewing of Signs. Like you just expressed, that was, that was a that was a rather uh, it was pretty harsh. I was full of myself. Uh, yeah, that was, that was a pretty sharp critique. There. I was I was pretty full of myself. And and who knew five six years later the happening was going to happen? Oh. And then you're just like forget filming a first draft. Like you didn't. You, <laughs> he filmed you didn't as even... he went. He wrote it as he went. Right, right. Um, but now my experience with later revisiting signs, not for springtime for Shyamalan, but in the last like four or five years. When I've revisited signs, the more I come into it, the more I'm like, huh, I actually really enjoy this movie. I really love certain specific elements about it. But in general, I just, I really respond very heavily to the film. Signs has grown in my affection significantly as time has gone on. And that's why I was, that's why I was particularly excited for you to revisit it, because I remember us talking about it a few times where you ranked signs a little lower in the general Shyamalan catalog. Yeah. And um, yeah. and that was one where I was like, I'm excited to hear how you feel about it once you revisit it, remembering it that I had originally ranked it rather lower and it had grown in affection the more times that I had seen it. Yeah. And you know what is interesting? I've I've just tried. I've, I've been kind of asking my asking myself the question since I rewatched it, you know, because you're, you are correct. I mean, I think since it's early, since the release of it and, you know, those few times I saw it, I wouldn't have categorized it at perhaps the top of the heap for me. And I couldn't quite assess why. And it's interesting rewatching it this time. And I texted you this, but we haven't really had a chance to, to, to verbalize some of this, but there is so little cynicism mm -hmm. in this movie. Right. Right. In a way that I just think I was unprepared for and kind of it, you know what it honestly made me think of Reed was our conversation about, about split. Mm. Uh, because the, the thread of do you want to be well? And I think there is such a way that I, I am like this. I don't know if you're like this. There's a way in which I kind of like my media with a bit of an edge to it. Um, I like, I think I'd agree because, because I think I, as a person can be kind of sarcastic. This is the way we cope with the harsh realities of life and yada, yada, yada. And so there's a way in which maybe I don't want to be well. And so when you show me, this is all, we're, we're diving deep quick here. Sure. But when you show me sort of this unvarnished picture, completely devoid of cynicism, yeah. that is simply saying you can be well. It's, it's almost like I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. And so I say, well, what a childish view of the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I get that. Um, yeah. and so, and so I think that perhaps, and this is just kind of conjecture, you know, kind of assessing why it might have previously ranked a little lower, but 
you know, it, it is, it is just a raw feeling movie. I mean, it mm-hmm. is, it is so rooted in heart. Um, and just, just, it, 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 it feels more than it thinks. And I, I kind of applaud it for that in a way that maybe I hadn't appreciated beforehand. I love the way you put that. Just, yeah. I want to, I want to really like anchor in on that statement. It, it definitely feels more than it thinks. And I think any of the flaws that you could very understandably hurl at it are all intellectual flaws. Sure. It's, it's yeah. emotional center is so intact in such a oh, beautiful gosh, way. Yes. And I think that, I think that. Any critic of this film would be well justified to sort of take apart the logic of what happens in the story. But I'm right with you. I don't think you can deny the heart because it is so emotionally solid and substantial. Well, let's let's dive. Um, I I had one little sort of inconsequential trivial bit. Do you have anything? I just have a couple. um, I just have a couple small ones. um, Well, let me throw my, my small trivial bit at you. And that's that from a pure casting perspective, did you notice Late in the film, there is, it's one of the news briefs that they're watching. There's, there's a balding man who's a news correspondent, and it's the same actor who plays the dad of the poison daughter in Sixth Sense. I did. Did you, you catch know, that? Yes, I did. And he shows up, he's a bit player that shows up in a couple of Shyamalan's films. He's in The Happening. Really? Uh, I, I know for a fact that I've seen him in a handful of other things, and I love that. I love that Shyamalan has like his little troop of people that he yep. brings along along the way. Well, speaking of casting, one of my trivial bits, we talked uh, with Split about how McAvoy's role almost went to Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, in who does a wonderful job in this Joaquin Phoenix in this was almost played by Mark Ruffalo, which that would really? have been, yes, which that would have been extremely I interesting. Lo- I do love the Ruffalo and, and with a passion. Sadly enough, Ruffalo had to drop out because of health issues. He had uh, what what wound up being a benign brain tumor, but uh, but yeah, Ruffalo had to drop out due to health issues. Um, I think Joaquin Phoenix does great in this film, but there sure. would it sure would have been interesting to see Ruffalo playing off of Gibson. That would have been I, really interesting. I do love some Mark Ruffalo. And a- again, talking about casting, I just mentioned Gibson. So the, the, the character of Graham was originally written to be a much older person. He was actually the, the first couple times around, they tried to court Paul Newman and Clint Eastwood to come in wow. to the, to the, to that role. Um, so much older man, almost like a grandfatherly type. And then, uh, decided to shift things down further to make the character younger. And then they pursued Gibson for it, who of course, who of course, uh, took on the role. So that you know, the, it's it's interesting to think about what might have happened or what the film might feel like, you know, with these alternate casting choices. One little final trivial bit I have—it's uh, not and actually not related to casting—is one of the one of the dings that I would give to this film. And this might be a good transition into likes dislikes because one of the dings I would give this film is the general uh, look of the alien at the end. Like it looks. Just just a bit what you would call the rubber man. I would acquaint this with that sort of CGI. What's interesting is that, and this is the trivial bit, is that originally in the script, the aliens were kind of camouflaged, almost like predators. Right. But when they did them that way, Shyamalan didn't like the look. He didn't like the, the general sort of glossy, translucent right. effect. Um, so they decided instead to make them opaque. I don't know if that would have played better, if they actually would have wound up looking better or not. But that, yeah, I just thought it was interesting that originally you weren't able to see them at all. Well, I, I feel like those those just kind of read as kind of a budgetary thing. I mean, like I, to me, it's a it's a it's a little forgivable. I don't disagree that they don't look the best, especially at the end. Sure, um, sure. But you know, kind of at that point, you're either bought in or you're not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that. I get that. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that can kind of take us into likes, dislikes. What are, what are a handful of, of those in that specific arena that you yeah, have? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a, I've got a little list here. You, well, uh, this is a good piggyback on what you were saying is I do feel like, uh, Mark Wahlberg, notwithstanding, by and large, Shamalan's great at casting. Mm, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think even knowing the Ruffalo thing, who I certainly would have welcomed, I think Joaquin and Mel are eminently believable as siblings. Uh, and not just, I mean, just physically, they, they kind of resemble, but you got those two and doggone if Abigail Breslin isn't the 
world's cutest kid in that movie. She's adorable. Oh, she's, she's amazing. Every single time she says the words, it's contaminated. <laughs> it's so adorable. Well, and things, silly things like the little dance she does. This is what they're doing on the TV. Oh, my gosh. And she yes. shakes her hips and closes her eyes and does it again. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the casting's fantastic. I think this is one of the most sensitive treatments of people of faith I've ever seen in a movie. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. it just, you know, there's such a spectrum. There's like, Things like The Exorcist yeah. on one end of a spectrum. And then there's things like Facing the Giants on the other end of the spectrum. Right, right. And I feel like people just struggle to get this depicted well on screen. Mm-hmm. Because it's so it's so easy to to land in sort of the cheesy category or the oh, yeah. too, too sharp-edged category. Um, so I, I'm really impressed with... The, and this is another thing Shyamalan just does well, and he does it well here. And you notice things like movies like The Happening where this is not executed well and it falters, which is just normal people and the character dynamics of normal people set against kind of an extraordinary backdrop. Yeah, like right. Ultimately, the movie doesn't really care about the aliens. It doesn't. It's no. really just a vehicle to enhance the drama and the dynamics of their these characters. Right. Anyway, so yeah, that's, I mean, I've got some more, but what what are some likes, dislikes of yours? So, um, just two things real quick. So, I love the infusion of humor in this. I mean, there are, mo- yes. there are moments of humor in Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, but those are largely straightforward dramatic pieces. You can make a case this is a comedy. Absolutely. I, th- I think almost every, almost every scene is laced with some form of either developing out of the character's relationships or out of the situation is very funny. Uh, uh, a couple of things that I just wanted to mention. Uh, so I love the, them running around the house and, and Gibson and I'm insane with yes. anger. <laughs> like, yes. Which is great that it's Gibson because nobody does outrage better than Gibson in some of his other films. Oh, don't we know? But in this and in real life. <laughs> But in this, he, it's just so funny and quirky that he's this more subdued person. And then, of course, the confession by the actress in the pharmacy. Yes, and, yes. and the, when they cut back and Meryl's sitting there wearing the foil yep. hat with the rest. Of, so just tons of wonderful little humorous touches. And, and I think this, like the visit, it's like I almost can't tell if of course the visit it was much scarier than signs but it's a good blend of humor and suspense um in in some really effective ways i think so i so i love that just just real quick just like frailty don't don't judge me but uh i watched this one in black and white i didn't do that for all of his films but i watched i watched signs in black and white and the reason i decided to watch this one in black and white this time was because i've seen it three or four times already and because i had known in some of my trivial digging that he had styled it uh both in the way it's paced and in in general in the way that the story plays out like one of the old genre classics like night of the living dead or like the birds where the birds is in color but it kind of wanted an older style not totally naturalistic like the actors are not acting in a naturalistic or believable way the scenes are not framed that way they're they're very heightened and they're very stylized and uh so it was interesting because watching it in black and white it definitely felt like one of those old classic movies, albeit with some updated general looks in terms of clothing and stuff like that. And my final like is, uh, man, oh man. And I'm just going to touch on this because maybe it'll come back up in themes, but Graham telling the children uh, about the day of their birth. That we talked Mm-mm. in the village about how like Ivy holding her hand out is one of the most powerful scenes in any Shyamalan film right up there with it is that whole sequence yep. where they are battening down the hatches, boarding up the home, literally. And that's the moment to comfort and reassure them that he tells them about the time of their birth. Did you know? Well, you probably wouldn't have known this. That's the story of M. Night's children. Oh, really? Yeah. That's that's awesome. that's, that's their births I that mean, he infused sense. into the script, and I, which I think is beautiful and lovely. Well, on a technical level, uh, in terms of st- still keeping likes, dislikes here, I feel like Signs is really a testament to his skill visually. I mean, there are a number of shots. Um, some, a lot of the comedy is born yep. purely of the shot, uh, the cut, you know, the pacing. 
um, of an individual frame or, or going from X shot to the next one. Um, you know, a lot of the comedy is born of that, but even shots like, or scene sequences like the, um, the baby monitor on the car. Yeah. You know, just lots of, lots of perspective shots that really pay off in, in very strong ways visually. Um, yeah, I definitely had the birth stories on my likes list. There, there are just some fantastic. It, it's so interesting watching his progression because there's a way in which, like you just described, a lot of this is not very naturalistic, but it never feels to me. And this, in signs, it never feels what we've described in a couple of his other movies as clunky. Right. Um, the dialogue always feels pretty real. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I love some of the little moments, like in the basement, the, the creature pushing against the door. And it's this, it's this close up of Mel Gibson leaning against it. And he just simply says, I'm not ready. Oh, yeah. And it's oh, just yeah. this beautiful little moment. You know, and I think the movie's full of those. I agree. Um, I love talking about the comedy. I love the nerds were right. I wrote oh. that line down. <laughs> um, Meryl's reaction to the found footage is, is, is classic. That's great. That's such a great moment. Yeah. It's so um, great. Yeah. Uh, clearly by, by the sound of my, how I'm, how I'm describing things, I, I enjoyed this a lot more than I anticipated. And, um, we'll, we'll jump into scares. I gotta be honest, man. I got a pretty blank list here on scares. Well, I think just so, so time hasn't, time hasn't been kind to what was originally scary. <laughs> really rather frightening. Um, I, I, I have a couple, but just, just to give some lip service to a couple of what I would classify as dislikes about the film, cause I really enjoyed it. I will yeah, yeah, say yeah. that just so that our listeners don't think that we're shutting off our brains for this, I do think Again, that this film does not hold up very well logically, even though I think it holds up substantially well emotionally. So the ending, like the reveal of the of the signs in the film, uh, how everything connects and 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 how that plays back into to the death of his wife and the significance there. I will be honest that if I'm dissecting that logically, I can tear it apart pretty easily. Every time I'm watching the movie, I do not care. I, every time I'm watching yeah. the movie, it, yeah. it carries me emotionally through what it needs to carry me through. So I'm going to acknowledge that, yes, it, it doesn't hold up very logically, but something about the way that scene plays out connects with me on a very deep level, um, maybe because of what I believe about the world, maybe because of how invested I am in the characters at that moment. I don't know. I know it doesn't connect with a lot of people, and I can understand why, but for me, it totally does. And yes, I know that the fact that the aliens come to a planet full of water when they're when water is toxic to them, I know that's not logical. Again, I don't care because at that point, sure, the the, sure. the combination of the performances, the emotional groundswell, the music, everything that has built up to that point, I'm far too invested to really pick apart the logistics of that for me personally. If somebody else did, I'm I'm I get it. Trust me, I get it. But just I I just love 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 those final moments so much because of what they do in my heart and in my spirit. And I haven't been said yeah. for scares I, again, I, I've never gotten nightmares from signs. Never. But, but you know, the birthday video, at least, at least the first time around was pretty freaky. Yeah. yeah, pretty yeah, creepy. yeah. That's great. Uh, the pantry scene where he's sitting there, you know, again, talking about, yeah. talking about uh, the humor lace. Then he's like, you know, they're waiting out in the paddy wagon. And then he does that little mouthing of like paddy wagon. What was I thinking? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I will say that the sequence in the basement is pretty yes. rattling. It's strong. It is, yeah. especially when, you know, Morgan's looking up and he's like, what? What's wrong? And then that hand creature. Oh, yeah. my yeah. gosh. I will say this, too, as a closer for my scares. So, uh, my wife's cell phone, whenever she doesn't have it on silent, it makes the same exact weird clicking sound while she's typing as the baby monitor noises from the aliens coming through. So, literally, we'll be laying in bed and all of a sudden, I'll hear... And I'm like, what? what, what, what? And it's just her. Oh God, oh God. It's just her typing on her phone. And I'm, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. <laughs> I've commented to her a couple of times. I'm like, you freak me out every time you do that because it's this weird sound that I associate with alien invasion. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, like, I think honestly, uh, we should probably just go ahead and, and dive whole heart into themes because the, the, the emotional resonance in the film and the subject matter of the film are really so much of why 
I love it so much. I think that's probably going to wind up being so much of, of why you say you love it as well. Why don't you lead us off in terms of a general thematic conversation, something that you had mentioned? Um, yeah, I've, I've got a pretty lengthy list here, which is nice. I'm going to, I'm going to lead with one that I had, I will state up front is pretty cheesy, but it did strike me. It, it, it is reminiscent to me of your Bride of Frankenstein Garden of Eden thing, how it's kind of like, well, I don't know that I totally see it, but then you're kind of like, oh, I do kind of see it, but it's pretty on the nose. <laughs> um, so <laughs> with that in mind, what I wrote down is this is, roundabout uh th- this these thoughts started coming to me roundabout them holding up the in the house uh for for the night and i just wrote the world hold its br- holds its breath the monsters creep in the last supper happens the sun dies the sun is reborn the living water dispels the darkness Oh, man and i just i don't know i, I don't have a ton really to say about that but i just thought I mean, it's there. Like, yeah, it's pretty, you know, I mean, there's this very real sense of quiet and anxiousness, uh, leading up to that, that dinner sequence, yeah. which is, which is itself heartrending. Yes. Um, yeah. you know, and then I, I don't know. I just, it, it, it was interesting to me to sort of observe that this time around. Um, to me, that's the real kind of flannel graph, uh, theme stuff, but I did think it was fun to mention. And I've got several kind of big stuff here. So, so sure. we can unpack e- each other's things. The very first thing I wrote down, um, that I think kind of hangs heavy over this whole movie is, and, and I'll just read it the way I wrote it. I said, the universe has no meaning slash the universe is bursting with meaning. Mm-hmm. And I think like it's fascinating to watch this movie and, you know, um, there, there is a peer of mine who is atheist and he'll, he'll, he'll rib me sometimes online. He, he knows my, you know, sort of religious proclivities. Um, and, and we have a mutual respect for each other, but he'll rib me sometimes online about a thing, just being a thing. And, and I'm as much able and willing to call just a thing is simply a thing. And yet at the same time, I can't deny the possibility that the universe is also bursting with meaning. Right. And I think, I think there's just this, and, and maybe you would disagree with this. I don't know. I do think life for the faithful is just a constant tension between those two poles. You know, yeah. like I can't say, well, I tied my shoe this way today. And thus that means X. <laughs> right. At the same, at the same time, I can't deny that sort of cosmically speaking, things have a way of connecting to yeah. each other. Yeah. Well, uh, to to respond to that and bring in a film that we'll never cover fully on this show, but uh, and and here audiences are really going to probably uh, roll their eyes at me, but I honestly the 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 film way that this was put, my personal feelings on it, the uh, the way that this was displayed in film was actually in Forrest Gump. Because at the the spoiler alert for Forrest Gump at the grave of Jenny, Forrest says, and I I, I wasn't prepared to say this, but so I'm not quoting it verbatim. But he basically says, you know, the question is always, is it destiny or is it chance? And Forrest, in his very you know sort of simple way of looking at it, says maybe it's both happening at the same time. Maybe it's both. Mm. And I kind of feel that way. I kind of feel like. You know, I've heard in interviews, uh, King, Stephen King talk about what he calls the, the chaos and the intention, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I, I might be wrong about that, listeners. So give me some grace if that, if I'm not saying it correctly, but just basically the idea being that there are things which are random and there are things which are just sort of chaotic. And at the same time, there are things which are intentional that are happening at the same time. And I think that I believe that every single moment, and I know this is a broad statement, but I do believe this. I think every single moment, simultaneously, there are what I would call naturalistic things, just the simple course of action happening. I think there are wicked schemes, things which try to capitalize on weaknesses and insecurities to try to undermine goodness. And I think that there are, as we've termed before on this show, palpable good things happening. And I believe that Almost literally every single moment, 
that we live our lives, those three things are all happening concurrently, that those three things are all at play where dependent on what framework your belief set is, you're going to tap into one of them or the other, but that all three things could be made a case for. And I know that's a big grandiose statement, but I genuinely sure. see the world that way where I say, you know, uh, the, the, the simple act of a dinner with a friend, there's just something very natural that's happening in that moment. There also could be things that are trying to undermine your m emotional, mental health. There could be things that are trying to undermine your relationship. And then at the same time, there are uh, forces at work that are trying to promote goodness in the world. And sure. And I think that, that where people get hung up, either on the Christian end of the spectrum or the atheist end of the spectrum, is by denying the other possibilities. So I, yes. so, so I yeah. think that, that the Christian thinkers who believe there is substantial meaning in the shoes you chose to wore today, then I, I, I tend to take that to task as well. Like, okay, guys, sometimes a thing is just a thing. And, right. and the, the more atheistic model, which says, well, no, there, there, there is no God. So there is no divine purpose. Every purpose is naturalistic, meaning that every course is just every, uh, right, right. event is just sort of the natural course of things that takes place. I think they're missing out on an entire perspective of how certain moments could be seen or how certain things could be interpreted. So I think that for me personally, obviously, because it's the way I see the world, I think I'm right. <laughs> but the, the, the way that I view it is that all three things need to be attended to. You need to recognize the dark possibilities in, you know, that are, that are at work every day all around us. Recognize just the natural things that human beings tend to do to one another and that tend to take place and recognize the, the divine goodness that is constantly seeking for, for our betterment and to, to promote the kingdom in the world around us and in our own lives. So that's kind of how I see that, that answer to everything. I know it's, I know it's big. That's, that's, that's quite sweeping. <laughs> um, but I like, I think about, so that actually bleeds rather well into something that I was thinking about is like, so one thing that kind of bugs me, Graham's talking to Merrill and he says to him, he says, there's two kinds of people in the world. There's people who see signs, right. you know, people who see these intentions, they see the lights in the sky and there's people who, you know, see that and they know that somebody's, something's going to be there with them to help them and they're not alone. And then there's other people who are like, no, they're scared. It fills them with fear because we're, we're all alone. And it was interesting because one of the things that always tends to bug me, and this is going to feel like a diversion, but I'm going to tie it back into signs. One thing that always tends to bug me is the statement, no regrets. Have you ever heard those statements where like people will say like, well, live life yeah, with no regrets yeah. or I don't have any regrets. And usually if you try to drill down on something where you say like, well, why don't you deeply regret that shameful action that took place in your life or that, that, that you know, big mistake that happened over here. Well, without that, I wouldn't be where I am today. Sure, sure. Without that, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. And I have a little bit of a different take on that. And I'm going to tie this back into signs. I have a slightly different take on the notion of people who say like, oh, well, I was supposed to make those mistakes because that brought me to this other place. I don't believe that God intends for us to do bad things. I, I just, that's sure. not in my theological framework, that God designs and purposes for us to do terrible things. What I do think is I believe that God is a redemptive God. And I believe going so far down the road that he is so good at redemption, that he is so good at working things together for our good, that he is so good at redeeming the world and our life and our circumstances that he may even position it in such a way that once it once things have turned around and once you're kind of on the right path it might even feel as if you are that you were supposed to make those mistakes because of how sure, good sure. god is at redeeming that situation and i wouldn't say to that person yeah you were supposed to make those statements no i or you were supposed to make those mistakes no, I would say, no, God is just really good at being a redeeming God, that he's just really good at turning those situations towards good. And it's interesting in this conversation about signs, um, because and this this is what I wrote down. Signs indicate two things. They either indicate direction or they indicate communication. 
So when we look for evidence of things, evidence of God's hand in our lives, evidence of goodness in our lives, we are trying to seek one of two things. We're either trying to hear something, communicate something about our present situation, or we're looking for some sort of guidance of where we're supposed to go or what we're supposed to do. Um, I think that's even true outside of the faith perspective, that it's just like signs in general either communicate direction or communication. And it's interesting to watch how this movie plays those things out because both alien presence and divine presence seems to be providing both of those things throughout the course of of the of the narrative, sure. as it were. But I, I, I know I just hit a whole lot. Do you have any thoughts or immediate, re- <laughs> or immediate responses? I don't want to just keep rambling. Um, I don't have a ton of response to those particular things, although you did bring up a juxtaposition there that I found interesting that the movie uh, for something so so pointed as extraterrestrials and something so pointed as higher powers, the movie never puts those things in conflict with each other. And I find that really interesting. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Right. It's just it's the movie is not a meditation of science versus faith. It just doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't even care. Um, That's true. You know, in the movie, even even with the you know, what's interesting, even thinking about this right now, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't even think God is is mentioned, you know, like like does anyone say I mean, clearly the notions and habits of faith are presented, you know, prayer, sort of faithfulness, right, uh, compassion, that sort of thing. Um, he is representative of the, the cloth, as it were. Anyway, I, where I was going with that is simply to say, like the movie, the movie never questions. I think you're right. God, you know, yeah. it doesn't question Graham. Right. I'm sorry. The movie doesn't question Graham. It says, or doesn't question God. It says Graham may be incorrect and sort of where he's living and where his heart and spirit and brain are. Um, um, Anyway, I just found it interesting that the movie doesn't really set those things against each other, you know, in in a way that we so desperately sometimes are like, no, it's either this or that. Right. Right. Well, and it's interesting too, that like Graham's character. So Shyamalan said about this film, he said that the scariest thing in the film happens before the story begins. And that's that a genuinely good man would lose his connection with God. He said, that's the scariest thing about this movie is that a man who is good would not be connected to the divine. And I thought that was interesting. But then when I'm watching Graham's story play out, and this is intentional, he's, he very much says we're alone. He doesn't believe he, 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 but it's not that he's, I don't think he has lost belief in God's existence. I think he's lost trust in God's goodness because of sure, what's happened sure. to him. Right. So, like, when he's down there in the basement with Morgan and Morgan's struggling to breathe, before things sort of settle in a powerful moment, he, he looks at the sky and says, I hate you. You right, know, he, right. he doesn't lay down a gauntlet of if you're real or not. He says, no, he no, says no, I no. hate you. You know, and, and yeah. you know that it's this this weight of you took my wife away from me. Now you're about to take my son away from me. And right. and it's that it's, it's he's lost trust that God is good, not necessarily belief that God is there. And I think that's something that, you know, we could do a real deep dive on the difference present. Well, in those two and, distinctions, uh, you know, if 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 you or, or anyone is sensing, man, Nathan's real solemn this episode. So, like. You know, signs really worked me over, mm. you know, in, in a, in a, in a very sort of real way and, and, and divulging minimally just of, of personal things, but just this notion of, you know, how do you, how do you move forward when someone deeply wrongs you? Mm. Um, you know, how do you move forward when you sense that? The spiritual, in this case, in the movie's case, God, but I, I would argue for myself and perhaps for other listeners out there, you know, just apply spiritual authority to that when spiritual authority feels like it has proven itself untrustworthy. Right. I, I think this movie really sort of challenged me to ask some of those questions in a way that I was unprepared for, you know, to the point that I wrote down. And I've got a mild answer for this, but, but, you know, what I wrote down was what does forgiveness look like? You know, what does forgiveness feel like? You know, because, and, and I also wrote in, in response to the line you just quoted of the I hate you scene, like that was so powerful to me because I know this intellectually and, and I know you know this intellectually and probably many of the people who listen to us who are by mere virtue of the fact that they listen to us, smart, discerning folks, 
Um, <laughs> uh, we know these things intellectually, but I wonder what it means to assess emotionally that God can handle us telling him we hate him. Right, right. And I would almost wager the the proposition that he would invite that mm. because all he wants of us is just our our ourselves our realness our our yes. the, you know if if the psalms teach us anything it's that you can in a moment say that you hate god and and still be in relationship with him mm-hmm. uh and still be loved by him right i think this movie was a really interesting meditation on these ideas you know what is what does forgiveness look like and feel like this is why the movie doesn't care about the fact that it's aliens it's just not really concerned with that right it's concerned with saying what do you do how do you move forward how do you pick up and 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 move in wholeness when very real tragedy has occurred to you has has struck you you know especially as you sort of point out when you are quote unquote the good i do think it's interesting that Graham's character never, he doesn't even say, why me? You know what I mean? Right, right. I mean, he doesn't even, there's, I think the character is so well materialized, so well realized that there isn't a way, there isn't the sense that Graham has lost belief in God. I think he knows he's there. Right. And he's just lost his care. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Absolutely, it does. Um, You know, and, and, and so in that way, this movie is a very real picture of a very real relationship with God. Yeah. You know, and it, and it's punctuated so strongly with that final moment between he and Morgan, who Morgan says, did someone save me? Oh my gosh. I says, I think, I think someone did. Yes. You know, and, and, and I, and I do think there's an argument for what happens when in the real, we, we don't experience that saving. You know what I mean? Right. I don't mean like our, our souls aren't delivered by the Lord. I just mean like, you know, when, when, when we don't get what we want or, and, and even that sounds superficial. Right. You, you understand right. what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, I, I what do. happens, what happens when the sun doesn't survive? <laughs> right. You know, yeah. um, you know, we are still left with those questions. Um, but I do think this movie is a, just a really powerful examination of that. You know, I, I think I personally, as I observe him, in action, I think a lot of Graham when he goes to Ray's house. Mm. Yes. He doesn't have to, he does not have to do that. Right. You know, that the, the, the goodness in that character is very palpable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it carries us through observing all of this. And anyway, I, now I feel like I'm the one rambling, but and, well, well, and one, I'm sorry to, <laughs> as I was about to cut myself off, one final thing I wrote was the difference between losing religion and losing faith. Oh, yeah. You know, what, what is, what 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 are the things that it takes to push us over into actual spiritual tension? Yeah. You know, what what would have to happen to you to get you to where Graham is and how would you deal and live and move? I don't know. I, I think this movie just raised a lot of those issues for me at the same time showing just the power of a very real family trying to move through a tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. And so touching on some of what you some of what you just said there i i want to go back to one thing that you mentioned and just sort of just sort of echo it again about the reality of coming to a place to where you recognize that god can handle the fact that we hate him and that in some ways I, dare i say he would invite that of us that level of honesty and that level of openness right, right and right. what i thought as you were expressing and unpacking some of those things is you know the the fact is we know, and many of our listeners already know, that there are many, many people who believe in God, uh, maybe even love the Lord, maybe are even trying their best to live faithful lives, but because of their own selfishness or because of their own whatever choices, however they chose to navigate through that, they caused a lot of collateral damage to people. And in many ways, because they were the surrogate for God, they caused a lot of irreparable damage. I think about when Ray Reddy tells... Graham about the moment when he had ran off the road and hurt his wife said it was like it was meant to happen. And I remember every single time I've watched this movie, I've wanted to slap that character in the face. Every single time I've watched this movie, I'm like, how dare you try to divine some intention behind this poor man's wife's death? You know, like, like, and, and even though the film, the climax of the film to a degree 
substantiates the intentionality sure, of everything. Sure, sure. It's still a moment where I'm like, who do you think you are? You know, and and what Graham responds to is Ray's apology is is his yeah. asking for forgiveness. That's what Graham finally sort of breaks down and responds to. But I remember thinking we look for reasons to substantiate our faith, to substantiate what we believe. And in the same way, if we're mad or if we're hurt, let me not let me not minimize it by saying just if you're mad. If you've been deeply wounded by the church, by someone in the church, or by circumstances for for which there is no explanation other than God himself, if you've been deeply wounded by those things, we're mad and we look for evidence of the reverse. We look for signs that will substantiate that God doesn't care about about anything, that, that it is sort of chaotic and it is sort of random chance, that it is some sort of uh, just dice roll as to whether or not everything is going to be okay. And one of the things that I sort of cling to uh, in, in my moments is I think about, uh, actually, I'll go ahead and bring in the scripture verse that I was going to mention here, is I think about Thomas. I think about I think about doubting Thomas and I think about that thing that Jesus told him after Jesus stepped forward and presented his scars to him to substantiate his belief. And then he told him, he said, because you have seen me, this is John chapter 20 and verse 29. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And what I here's what I'll say about that. We often take that statement as an admonition like, oh, you needed proof. It's better that these other people who who didn't need proof. I don't quite take the statement that way. Here's what I think about. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. Uh, I won't name them just in case they wouldn't want this conversation broadcast, but I'll take the blame for it. We were reflecting on the fact that if we're really being honest about it, there are people in this world for whom God has given significantly more reason to trust him than he has given to others for reasons I can't explain. And what I mean by that is there are people for whom they live faithful lives and things go very well for them. There are other people who don't live faithful lives and for bizarre reasons, things go very well for them. And then we have the reverse of both of those. There are people who live faithful, devoted lives and their lives are hard, sizably, significantly hard. And then there are other people uh, who, you know, live troubled or, or, or painful lives uh, that also don't have any sort of substance of faith. And what that tells me, uh, if nothing else, I don't have all sense of, of reason or understanding is, but what it tells me is that there is no formula for the, the quality or the percentage of tragedy and joy in your life and your direct relation to how faithful you are in your living. Sure. Uh, you know, in other words, in terms of the events, let me be very specific. In terms of the circumstantial events of your life, there does not seem to be a trackable pattern of you have lived your life faithfully, you will be rewarded. You have not lived right, your life faithfully, right. you will have consequence. There does not seem to be a chartable pattern of those coinciding in terms of the circumstances. There does seem to be a coinciding of the degree of peace that a person has the more they grasp hold of God's ultimate goodness, the more they put their trust in that level of goodness, and the more they put their hope in that level of goodness, and the level of peace that they receive back, there does seem to be a pattern there. But I think that, and I'm almost going to sound like a Calvinist here, I don't necessarily mean to, I think that there are people for whom that is easier than for others because of their circumstances. And I think there are people for whom it is easier. And when Jesus says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. I don't necessarily take that as a big criticism of Thomas. I take that as simply sure. an indicator that if, if you, if you trust with the sort of childlike abandon that Christ invites us to and encourages in us, then I think that is tremendous gain. You know, what does the scripture say elsewhere that godliness with contentment is great gain? That simply, hmm. Being having a heart that is framed towards faith and a heart that is framed towards faithful living and doesn't need persistent, constant evidence to undergird or substantiate that faith. Uh, I think those people are very fortunate. I don't even know if I'm always in that camp, 
But I think those people are very fortunate and very blessed indeed uh, that they do not need those level of evidences to to believe. And and let me just sort of put a final button in case I didn't well enough. I'm not criticizing those who do need more evidence. I'm not criticizing those people who do seek more evidence. But I think that I think that to a degree. We have to take a step back and recognize, as I think I've said before on this show, that that faith is as much a matter of the will as it is of the intellect. That faith is as much a matter of what you choose as it is of what is sort of laced in your circumstances and laced in your thinking. Every day of my life, I wake up and I choose to be a Christian. I do so because I think Christianity is true, but it's still a choice. It's still something that, to a degree, I actively choose to put forth in in my life and in the lives of my family sort of as for me and my house idea and i think that that's true of everybody that that ultimately even even those who have had what they would call damascus road experiences they still have to wake up and they still have to make that choice of do you do you like you said uh in our other episode about split do you want to be well um you you make that choice i think which direction you're going to move in and in terms of signs uh, let's let's go back to the baby monitor, maybe as a possible way to wind down, unless you have some responses. The, the baby monitor is a great, I think, sincerely, is a great metaphor for faith, because faith does not only require the transmission of the divine, it requires something of the reception. You have to, it, it's not, it doesn't just require a signal going out, a sign going out, it requires something on the other end to receive it, and something on the other end to listen, and something on the other end to be open to hearing them that have ears to hear, let them hear what's sure. being said and what's being transmitted. So that baby monitor is a great sort of little microcosmic metaphor of, yeah, that that sometimes it's just simply a matter of you also have to be open and to be receptive. And it, it's not so much that God's not speaking all the time, I think, as how deaf we really are. And that, you know, that we can can make some choices to open ourselves up a bit more. No, I I I, I would I would agree with um about 80% of what you just said. Nice. <laughs> you going to take me to task on the 20 of it or <laughs> <laughs> No, it's it's just sprinkled in here and there. So, um unless you had anything unless you had anything more that you wanted to add or include about this film, we can we can maybe wind it down. I definitely think it's a film that invites examination, self-reflection on what you believe and how you see the world. I think it's a film that just in its subject and its theme automatically invites that. How do you see the world? Are you somebody who sees signs? Are you somebody who's receptive to that or are you not? Well, I, th- I do think that the um, you used good language earlier that I think there's a shorthand the movie employs that exemplifies or illustrates well uh, a bit more of a nuanced reality in the real in terms of that redemptive idea. Like it it is fascinating watching signs and seeing that this is a movie about a puzzle that's showing you all the pieces and putting all the pieces together right in front of you. You know what I mean? Like this memory, that phrasing, his background, uh, his tragedy, her disliking of the water. Like there's all these just little bits and pieces that, in a fascinating way, in sort of a meta narrative way, kind of lead us all to one place. And I think that is kind of, you know, that, that, that verse that has plagued, perplexed and puzzled followers of Christ for years and years of all things working together for the good. Mm. Um, I personally am not one of those people who would say the fact that you wore your green shoes instead of your blue shoes today means that when you accidentally stepped in front of the street that someone saw you and put their brakes on, you know what I mean? Like these, these very small specific things, but, but like you, you know, you were articulating earlier, the redemptive nature of things like, and yet all of these things can be used Mm -hmm. in a way that is redemptive and potent and faithful. Right. Um, in the way that, you know, God is towards us and, and, Hopefully, occasionally, accidentally or intentionally, we are towards God. I don't know. I found this a very, a, a very, uh, fascinating, enjoyable slash troubling rewatch. I mean, like, yeah, 
if 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 someone had had the camera on me during watching this movie, it would have been quite embarrassing. I understand. Uh, I understand. It was funny. Yeah. And and every every three minutes, every three to five minutes, it'd subside, and then and then someone would start doing something sad and beautiful again. And I'd, I'd think, yeah. oh god, yeah, it's yeah. so beautiful. Well, let's let's uh, dive into that a little bit more. Are you ready for for old David S. Pumpkins ratings? Are you ready to to just go ahead and I'm I'm ready to David S. Pumpkin it up. Let's David S. Pumpkins this. So I'm going to give you a moment to think about it because it's, it 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 feels like uh, you may have a little bit of uh, figuring out to do to get your to get your numbers ready. So what I'll start with, we you know, for those of you who just who haven't heard an episode of us before, we rate these on uh, a scale of style, scares, and substance, and then we aggregate that together to give ourselves a number out of ten. David S. Pumpkins, David S. Pumpkins, the Tom Hanks SNL character that we both mutually <laughs> adore so much. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start with style. I I love the way this film is made. Um, style for me again is kind of in general how the story is approached. And so I would give this a solid five if not for the admitted logical flaws in some of its conclusions. So I ding it down to a four. I give it a, I give it a four for style. It's so funny. Like I, I, um, I don't think, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Like lo- the logic, the logicality of it, the logical elements. Uh, we have a water-based atmosphere and yet these things come in and then get hurt by water. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I see the, I see the criticism. Uh, I'm going to stick with my five. All right. Style. All right. Um, and, uh, for scares. Now I will say this yeah. before the rewatch, I might have been at more like a 3.5 on, on style. See? Look at there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's uh, how people it. can change, brother. People can change. People can change. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, uh, and then, uh, for scares, I mean, it, depending on whether you watch this for the first time or watch it, you know, right, the second time right. around. So I'm going to land kind of at a solid three for scares. Cause I think that the, there's some good suspense. It's not terribly scary. Um, so, but I, but I gave it a three for scares for myself. I, um, I would, I would echo that. I'd right. go with a three on scares. Um, and then we get into substance. So. There's, I mean, our, this conversation, and I'll say this retroactively commenting on our own conversation that we've just had. I think it's a film that invites more questions than it gives answers, ironically, because it's about signs, you know, and, right. you know, signs, I, I'll say this, uh, just, you know, signs point the way. They don't necessarily, you know, get you to the destination. They, they point the way. And, uh, sure. and so by virtue of that alone, it, I, I would give it a five for substance because I think it five. raises a lot five. of questions. And yep. Because I, I think, uh, yeah, that it's, it's, it's something that is the kind of film you need to process that you need to kind of think about a little bit or, uh, maybe not even process logically again, but just like emotionally. So officially, Fear of God, David S. Pumpkins ranking. We give signs eight out of ten. David S. Pumpkins, wow. which is uh, uh, still not quite the visit level, but slightly better than <laughs> Split and <laughs> the Village. <laughs> oh, that man. got higher than the Village. What? What was the Village? The what Village was, the was village? seven. The Village and Split were both seven out of ten. But um, but yeah, the uh, uh, the visit, boy, we loved the visit. So, <laughs> um, so I sense resentment over my affection for the village no, uh, for the visit. No, 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 not at all. You know, Exorcist eight point five. The visit nine. <laughs> visit nine. <laughs> but um, sincerely, as we say every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. Particularly as it pertains to signs. Uh, you know, we're we're exploring these. things. Things, we're not explaining them. We've hit on some subjects that maybe we didn't land on any substantial conclusions, but I think we would love to hear what you guys have to say about that. And you can reach out to us in a variety of ways. You can uh, follow us on Twitter. Nathan, what is our Twitter handle? At the fear of God. You can also like us on Facebook. There's a link to that through Twitter. You can post there or respond to some of our posts. You can follow me on Twitter at Reed Lackey. Nathan, where can they find you on Twitter besides the fear of God? 
at the Nathan Ralph. You can also email us fear of God podcast at gmail.com. That's all one word fear of God podcast at gmail.com. You can visit more than one lesson.com to leave a comment on our official posts there. You can also go over to iTunes and leave us a review about the show in general and about what you think about the kind of content we put out. We would really, really appreciate an iTunes review, particularly a positive one if you have one. Um, so yes, thank you so much as always for engaging with us on springtime for Shyamalan. I'm kind of sad there's only one week left but next oh. week next week we will be diving into our final springtime for Shyamalan uh, episode in which we will conquer the one that uh, that probably everybody would agree is his strongest film and uh, and I'm very very excited to dive into this next week we will be discussing the one the only the sixth sense Nathan thank you so much for having this conversation with me and for suggesting this series yeah you're welcome man it's been a uh been a lot of fun and uh we'll see you next week guys